Hi, you guys. This is Natalia. And this is Ron. And this is Till Death Do Us Part. week's episode ron and i spent some quality time together we listened to the podcast dateline nbc and then ron convinced me we should watch the video which was a fabulous idea the episode was point blank so i'm gonna tell you a little story this is about the murder of todd chance on the morning of august 25th 2013 near bakersfield california todd chance left home and according to his wife janae was headed to a gun show with his father Todd Chance was a 45-year-old local, a cowboy, a truck driver, and a devoted father. Now, later that day, police officers come back to the house with shocking news. Todd has been shot to death, twice in the chest, point blank, and he was left for dead in an almond grove. His car's missing. His wallet and cell phone, however, are still nearby. When his parents hear the news, there's more surprises. His dad says they never had plans to go to the gun show. Another surprise, the 38 revolver was missing from the home. However, there's no gun found near Todd's body. There's actually not much missing, so the police know this wasn't a robbery. Lead detective is Detective Brewer. He sees there's no blood or bullets at the Grove, so they can deduced pretty quickly that he was killed elsewhere and dumped here. Later on, the car and gun are found together, found about 20 miles away in a bad neighborhood. It's a neighborhood with a lot of poverty, gangs, drug addicts, etc. When the police go through Todd's cell phone, the police find someone has been sexting Todd, sending over nude photos, and it is not his wife. The police also find a video of what happens to be a woman in sunglasses and a cap ditching Todd's car. They're able to track this woman across several different videos going into a shopping center, a Starbucks, a Lowe's, a Walmart. At the Starbucks, this woman changes her clothes and shoes and seems to get rid of some cleaning wipes. Meanwhile, the police have identified the woman in the nude photos as Carrie, an ex-girlfriend who had been... uh, Todd's big first relationship, a relationship that lasted about five years. They broke up in 95, but by 96, Todd and Janae were getting married. That seems kind of fast to me. Todd and Carrie had recently reconnected. However, according to Carrie, they did not have an affair. It was just sexting. Janae, the wife, claims she had no idea, which I think is bullshit. Wait, wait, are we going to let them make the decision or are we making the decision for them? Don't say you think it's bullshit. Let's get the facts out. All right. Carrie has a solid alibi at the time of the murder. She was hours away having brunch with friends. Janae, however, the wife, is arrested four days after the murder. The police are pretty sure she did it based on several lies. She claims she was on her laptop at the time of the murder 
but an analysis of the laptop reveals that the morning of August 25th, there was zero activity. No mouse was being moved, no keys were being typed, etc. Also, I think you have to talk first before they got to the computer. They spoke to her daughters who were at the house who said she wasn't on the computer and that morning. Well, they said that they saw her downstairs. Mind you, her daughters are teenagers who are stumbling downstairs late morning and I think are unreliable in their timelines of when they saw their mother and what they saw her doing because her daughters said they saw her doing laundry. But Janae was very adamant that she was working that morning on her computer doing lesson plans. So because of that inconsistency, where the daughter said she was doing laundry, but she said she was doing work on the computer, then they decided to search the computer. They sent it to an FBI crime lab to determine whether the computer was actually being used during a two or three hour period that they had deduced when the murder occurred. Correct. Uh, Also, the detectives are pretty confident that the woman they see in the videos is Janae. She has a very distinctive gait and a very distinctive body type. Uh, In addition, Janae swore that she never used contacts and that it couldn't be her in the videos because she needed her glasses and she didn't have prescription sunglasses. But the DA proved she purchased contacts a month before the murder. And Janae was caught in her lie on the stand. In 2016... A trial finds Janae guilty of first-degree murder, and she's currently in jail, but maintains she is innocent. She says, and I quote, I spoke my truth. So, I think she's guilty as fuck. But let's start with the crime scene. (laughs) The crime scene, he is completely clean. He's not disheveled. He shot twice in the chest. Yes. One of the bullets went through his hand first. It's called a defensive move. When you put your hand up and say something of the effect of, like, don't shoot, and the, the trigger person pulls the uh, trigger, the bullet goes through the hand, and it continued into his chest, and it ultimately caused his death. He was laid in a grove. There was no dirt on his shoes, so they know he didn't walk in the grove. He was driven to the scene. He was thrown out of a car or put down. His wallet and cell phone were actually within 20 feet of him. So because no one took his wallet or his money, they knew it wasn't a robbery. It had to be something else. In addition, he had a 38 caliber gun in his home. When the police found his car, the car keys, it, by the way, it was a new uh, Mustang. And when the police found it, the gun and the keys were on the driver's side floor of the car. In plain view. In plain view. You can see it from standing uh, next to the car. And so it was, uh, the deduction was that the person who left the car there wanted somebody else to steal it, but nobody did. But if you were walking next to the car in a crime-ridden neighborhood, you would have noticed the keys were still in the uh, car and that there was a gold gun well, it wasn't gold, the, but it had the dust from the almond grove gave it that appearance that it had like a gold sheen to it because it was dusty from the field. Uh, it didn't mm, look gold in the no, video. I think that was a gold uh, colored gun. That's the. Uh, it wasn't a automatic. That was a fancy revolver with the. It was a nice revolver. Design. It didn't look like solid gold, but okay. Oh, and the other issue was there was not a lot of footprints around, uh, which is why they felt that he was just pushed out of a car. So that's the, that, that in itself is the crime scene. 
They originally thought that maybe he met somebody at the gun show, but it turned out he never went to the gun show. He never checked into the gun show. And so a lot of a lot of what was told by his wife, Janae, was falling apart. Yeah, I think she made up the story. I don't think he woke up that mm-hmm. morning and said, hey, I'm going to the gun show. So, I think that <clears throat> she just made that up completely. So one of the pivotal parts of the case turned on her testimony when she took the stand. And really, she had... She had taken part in this point-blank interview years earlier where she said she can't see without her glasses. She's she's totally blind. She needs glasses, uh, and she wears her glasses all the time. Yet in the interview with the TV, you can see her walking without the glasses. Outside, she had, walking outside, in the garden. Walking in the garden. She was walking in the house, out of the house, around the house, around the property. Never with, wearing glasses, never, not wearing contacts. Well... That's not true. She wasn't wearing glasses. She claims she wasn't wearing contacts. And then they asked her, but if you're blind, how are you able to get around so well? And she just said, I I can't remember. So the reality is she was wearing contacts for many years. But the fact that she lied to the jury, she had made several statements to the jury that really turned against her. One, she said she never wore contacts. And it was clear. Well, they had proof that she had purchased contacts yes. a month before. She denied ever buying contacts. Con- uh, the contacts. She said, "I never bought any. I never had any." But the uh, the defense actually introduced her medical bills and her medical documents to show that she needed the glasses to see. What they didn't realize is in one of those pages, the prosecutor saw that uh, that Janae actually ordered just two months before the murder did order two boxes of contacts. The other statements that were inconsistent is that she said she had never been able to drive a stick and the Mustang was a stick shift. However, her DNA was all over the wheel in addition to being on the shifter. Mm-hmm. So clearly... She had been in the car. Well, she had been in the car, but it doesn't mean she committed... That doesn't necessarily mean she committed the murder. Her DNA should be in the car, frankly. She's married to him. Well, she should be in the passenger seat, but it shouldn't be all over the driver's no, wheel. Listen, they never told the us gear shift. Her, they never said if her, if her DNA was on the passenger. That's not the facts of the case. The facts are her DNA... Was, on was the, only taken off the wheel, the and gear it was hers, and, and a the fing- gear shift. They were only able to get one fingerprint off the driver's side door, and that one fingerprint was hers. Doesn't mean she's a murderer. That, that in itself wasn't one of the turning points. It means she's a liar. It's, her, it's certainly her car, her husband's car. She goes in the car, and her fingerprint should be on it, just like her DNA. I think that's not where the case turned. I think it was on the fact that she lied about the glasses... And then she kept saying that this is my truth. Like when you testify, you testify to the truth. If you're going to testify and say something is my truth, that means you're saying something less than the truth because my truth is different than your truth. There's your side and there's my side. But somewhere in there, there's the truth. Somebody tells me, oh, well, I told my truth. Tells me that you're full of shit. I'll quote it. She said, I spoke the truth. I spoke my truth. I know my truth. And that was ultimately devastating to her case. She also said she's not a jealous wife. She's not the type of wife that goes through her husband's cell phone. And she did not know about the cell phone pictures. And then she says, but I've been divorced before. And uh, it was very difficult. And I managed to carry on. And she denied... She used that as as a kind of evidence. She said, well, look, I've gotten divorced before and I didn't kill the last guy. So why would I kill... Todd. But Todd had several life insurance policies that she collected on. Um, 
And I certainly, while I don't think that was her sole motivation, I think that that certainly played a part in her decision to kill him. Ultimately, I think this case really came down to her prior interviews that she thought she was going to be all fancy and uh, be able to explain her side of the story. And so she talked to the media. But the lesson of the story here is really shut your fucking mouth. You shouldn't be talking to anyone. You don't talk to the cops, but you also don't talk to the media because all the video coverage they did when they first arrested her, she was only in jail for four days and she thought she beat the case. She wasn't rearrested again for almost three more years, right? Uh, it was three or four years later when she, they put the rest yeah, of the Yeah, it was like together. three years later when they were able to piece together all the pieces of evidence and they felt they had a strong enough case to try her. The problem is most of the evidence that they used against her was the evidence that she herself created by talking to the media. Well, but also a lot of her comments directly to the police were damning, such as I was on the laptop all morning and she clearly was never on the laptop that morning and I never drove Todd's car and clearly she had at least touched and been inside the driver's side of that car. I I don't think the turning point was the laptop. I mean, I get it. The officer would say, say, went on the stand and said, we we did an analysis of the laptop. We don't see any movement. However... She could have been reading something on the laptop. She could have been reading papers next to the laptop. They said it was never... No, they said nothing was ever clicked. She claimed she had been making... She had been going through lesson plans. She had a very specific story. And while I get that that may not be what she was doing and maybe the laptop was just nearby, I think that as most liars do, she offered up a lot of details when she gave her story. It wasn't enough to just say, oh, well, I was on the computer that morning. It was, well, I was on the computer and I was going through these lesson plans well, because I have to approve this and they that did, they for did the press school. Her, they did press her for that. They didn't just say, what are you doing on the computer? They said, what are you doing on the computer? Tell me exactly what you were doing. And if, she w- and if the computer was just laying nearby, she should have just said, well, I had it nearby, but I was also doing laundry. But that wasn't her story. Her story was very specific to doing work on the laptop that morning. But I don't think that's what damned her either. I'll tell you what got her was all the video. There was so much video of her going from place to place, jumping after getting rid of the car in that neighborhood. Hold on a second. Just so you understand, this took place in 2013. The video's crap. So this is this is <laughs> this is honest. recorded on VHS bullshit video, and I'll tell you something. They they didn't know it was her. They said she had a very particular gait. She swung her arms wildly from her arms swung huge from from forward to back when she walked. The same gait you saw when she was on the video that she was doing the interview, you saw it again. Four years later, when she was rearrested and awaiting trial, and she was walking into the court, and she was swinging her arms trying to collect the insurance policy. That gate ultimately, I think, quite brought her down. But they, the police, also tricked the daughter into identifying the mother by showing them video, by showing them basic videos and pictures where they were able to identify the mom. Right. Well, so and the, then what... they tricked her into saying that the other video was the mom. Well, what they did is they showed a video of the mom at a Walmart that Janae swore she never went to that Walmart. Well, there was a video of her clearly at the Walmart, and this was prior to the murders. What they did is they showed that video 
And then they showed the daughter the videos of this mystery person who dumped the car and was jumping from place to place, changing their clothes and shoes. And the daughter assumed that all those videos were taken on the same day. So that was tricky. Now, I think that you should always have an attorney with you present before you speak to the cops. The daughter, the daughter should have said, I will not speak without an attorney present. But the facts are what the facts are. The, uh, the ultimate lesson of the story is don't talk to cops and don't talk to the media. The real lesson is... No, the real lesson is out. how about you don't kill your husband? <laughs> how about uh, if you don't like what he's doing and you don't want to be with him, just get a fucking divorce and let's not shoot him and dump his body somewhere. I think she wasn't ready to go through a second divorce with another two kids. Probably. She said, I'd rather he was a truck driver. He was a truck driver. She's a principal of a school. Principals make some good money. Well, they did say she was earning more money than him. Yes, she what they said that she was the breadwinner. She was the person in the house who made the money. He was the one who would stay home when the kids got sick and was really like the house dad. Um so maybe she was worried that if they divorced, she'd have to pay alimony to him. Um, it is California. He supported... The law in California is he's not only entitled to half, she would end up paying him alimony. Yeah, well, because he supported her when she went back to school to further her degree. And that led to her having such a, a lucrative position. Oh, my goodness. We forgot one important part. What? The Las Vegas trip. The Las Vegas trip. Let's talk about the Las Vegas trip. A girl's day, a girl's trip. No, no, it wasn't a girl's trip. It was a family trip. So the family, the summer of 2013, we're talking about weeks before the murder, went on a family trip. They went around uh, to several states. But one of the stops they made was in Las Vegas. And while they were there... They did an interactive CSI type of, uh, like an escape room, puzzle room type of... It was was a crime scene investigation, and they showed in that investigation how to commit a murder and get away with it. Right. Well, basically, they showed you all the things not to do, like not keeping the shoes that you have at the crime scene, changing your appearance. And these are all things that we see this person in the video do after they dump his car. Um, And I believe the scenario was about a woman who kills her husband after finding out he has an affair in that CSI experience. So when the police found this out, it's kind of like, hey, she went to school for murder. Um, the other thing is she said she absolutely hated guns, didn't want to be near them, but they were able to see that they had gone shooting when they went on this vacation. So clearly she's not that upset by guns. Well, didn't they find the pictures in the house of her with her father shooting when she was like a kid? No, that was, that was the pictures of the daughter with Todd. Okay. Guilty as hell. The reality is shut your mouth. All right. But if you were her defense attorney... And you had to try to get her out of this. What's your position after a client? Well, first of all, let's go. Let me back up. Do you think that it's ever a good idea to put your client on the stand during their own trial? Well, you know, when I started practicing back in like the 90s, uh, 
I'll tell you from my own experience, there are some some clients, defendants, that you put on the stand because they can handle it, and they're smart, and they're sophisticated, and they're likable. There are other defendants who are not so sophisticated, not so likable, incapable of telling the truth, or there's other reasons why they may not be able to testify. But is on a case-per-case basis, you totality of the circumstances, you have to weigh it out. She had to explain, the defense had to explain too many anomalies, too many consistencies. She had to take the stand. What she didn't have to do was lie about the contacts because it really wouldn't have meant anything to her. But she lied. And the truth is, once you're a liar, there's nothing you can do to there's rehabilitate. There's no going back from that. It's like, why, why? Listen, if she didn't do it, why did she lie about the laptop? Why did she lie about the contacts? It's just too many things that if you look like you're making up a story on the stand, you're going to go down. There was too much going on. She had to take the stand, but she shouldn't have lied. All right. That what do her- you do if you put a defendant on the stand? I don't remember. Okay, what's the question? Uh, well, uh, in an ideal world, they know to say, I don't remember. Yeah, but this murder happened four years ago. I don't remember. I don't remember what I did that day. I don't remember what I wore. You're right. Do but you I'm... remember where you were on August 26th, I don't remember where I was yesterday. You're right. She had an easy way out. And look, I've seen people up on the stand who do a great job deflecting questions. What I'm asking you is, if you have a defendant on the stand, they've been caught in a lie. How do you come back from that? You always have to rehabilitate. How? Because sometimes you just don't remember. And that, you know, because it's human nature to want to appease somebody. If I say, how are you? It's normal response that you would answer that. How do you do today? Fine. Okay. But it's normal that somebody would respond. It's hard not to. It's hard to shut your mouth. I get it. But after she gets caught in this lie on the stand about the contacts... How do you, as her attorney... The contact lenses. The contact lenses, yes. How do you then come back from that? How do you go back up to her and make that sound not freaking suspicious? Do you remember when you ordered those contact lenses? No. That's the end of it. But they're going to say, but you did order contact lenses, even though you swore you hated contact lenses and wouldn't wear them. That's correct. But I ordered them. I wanted to try them again. I just didn't use them. Yeah, but that's not what she went with. She was a shitty uh, well because witness. she was a <laughs> the problem she had is she was very very smart, and uh, she became too smart for herself, and she outdid herself. And she dug. The problem is you, you can't create those walls because every time you create a wall, you corner yourself in. Yeah. Right. And really, it's in three easy steps. Do people lie? Yes. Are you a person? Yes. Therefore, you lie. Hell's yes. You're right. Because you have no way. You have in three steps. You have no way out of it. You have a. You have the premise, and then you have that conclusion is right there. Uh, well, she is now sitting in jail. Her daughters stand by her and uh, are saying mom's innocent. They are saying she didn't do it. And she's going for her appeal. So we'll have to see what happens. Oh come on! Listen, the girls have no choice. One, it's their mom. Two, they had just lost their father. I the know. Father was killed. What kind of reality is that? Now, you can't accept that. They also took the mother, and that's the sad part. 
There was no way these kids could win. These kids were complete losers. Everybody lost. Nobody won. Losers as in they lost things, not in that they suck. Yeah, no. They, they, <laughs> Let me just clarify. They, everyone lost a lot of their life. And uh, after the police, you know, after they just the, can't the, accept it. After they, the father died, now they're taking the mom to jail. Like those kids were just thrown in for a loop. And of course they stick by their mom. What else can they do? Yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to take a little break and we'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Uh, before we get into it, I would just want to take a quick uh, moment for an apology. Uh, last week, I think I shit a little bit on people working in the food industry. And I just wanted to say that I apologize if that's what it sounded like. Um, I simply meant to imply that a lot of those jobs are entry-level jobs. I mean, I, I was working in the food industry when I was in high school. You, you don't need to graduate high school to, to start working. Um, but I'm very grateful for the opportunities that I had when I was at Qdoba and later on when I was waitressing. Um, I, I had a lot of great experience and I made a shit ton of money. So uh, I apologize if I, I offended anyone or made it sound like it's, it's a, a not a desirable job to have. Right, moving on from there, we're going to talk about curfews and uh, what curfews should be. Uh, I think, again, we're sort of talking about teens here, right? I mean, we're not letting our 10-year-olds run around in the middle of the night. We're talking about our teenagers. Okay, so... Uh, right? I mean, I'm, I'm... I mean, I think a 10-year-old, certainly a bedtime would be like 9 o'clock. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, that's that's appropriate. Right. So for teenagers who have uh, no driver's license, they're 16. Okay, no driver's license. No driver's license. We know where they, we should, uh, if they're going someplace, someone's driving them, they're walking it. Mm. Okay, what's their uh, time? So I think a lot of this is going to depend on two things. Number one, your kid. I think that's always what it's going to come back to. Right. And number two, where do you live? So those are your two facts. Where do you live and you, who your kid is? Yeah. So there's no blanket rule for every kid. Now you're saying it's only particular to each kid. In general. It, you're actually saying it's particular to each kid in each neighborhood. Yes and no, because I do think that there's a hard line. I don't think that 16-year-olds sh should be out at 3 a.m. running around. I don't care how safe the neighborhood is, and I don't care if they're straight-A students. All right, so we're talking school nights or we're talking weekends? Oof. Let's... Let's say school nights first. School nights, 16-year-old kid in any neighborhood. Maximum outside is... Midnight. Max. And I'm being... Give, I'm, I'm saying that generously because I'm assuming that if my 16-year-old is out on a school night, it's going to be for a good reason. It's not because you're going to a party on a Tuesday night. But if you're going to for a study group or it's your friend's birthday... And you want to hang out at their house a little late. No, no, no. I don't want to talk exceptions to the rule. I want you to commit <laughs> to a rule. No, okay. 12 is probably too late. You're right. I, I think prob 11. 11? 11. And that's if your students, is, that's, you have a straight A student, right? Well, I don't think it's so much about the grades. I think it's about if you have a, a, okay. a responsible kid. So let me ask you, if your kid was getting all A's, maxing out in school, then 11 o'clock is appropriate, seems reasonable? Yeah. What if your kid wasn't getting A's? Your kid was failing. Is my kid a pothead? No. I mean, is he like We're a degenerate? Nope, nope. 
No, then you need to be home studying. You shouldn't be out that late. Ten. All right. So now it depends upon the kid in the town on the weekday, depending upon oh his grades. <laughs> it's got so complicated quickly. I just want to get to a rule. You, you, this is what it's about. But I don't think it's about making hard and fast rules. I think it's about looking at the circumstance and making an intelligent decision. I mean, yes, it, you should have a general rule. Sometimes you make exceptions. There's always exceptions. We're not talking about the exceptions. The general rule. (laughs) On the weekend, that same 16-year-old who gets an A student. I'm driving and picking up? You're driving and picking up. He can't walk. I mean, he can't drive on his own, so you're picking up. I'm not letting you walk, so midnight for sure. Okay. That means you have to be up at midnight to pick him up. If there's a dance, if there's... No exception. General rule. Generally... Oh, God, I don't want to go out at midnight to pick your ass up. <laughs> let's, let's be honest. I don't want to be out at midnight every weekend. If it was once in a while, I would make the exception. Otherwise, 11. Okay, so let's just... Now we're dealing with a straight-A student, good community. I don't want to keep going back to grades. It's just you have a good kid or you have a kid that's not responsible. So if they and I think we have to be grade, honest right? with ourselves as parents. I don't think, listen, I could have a B student and they're doing the best they can. I'm not basing it on whether you got a 90 or a 95 or an 85. I'm basing it on whether you're doing the best you can. And Are you if, being the best kid you can be? What if you're doing 65? No, then something, no, then something's wrong. You're not doing your best. And if you're doing your best and getting a 65, then I need to help you. You need a tutor. You need medication. You need something. Okay. So let's say the kid goes out until midnight. That's your rule or is it now 11? What's the rule now? No, it's 11. 11 o'clock. Fuck. All right. So let's Only because I'm lazy. It's a, all right. So he's a 16-year-old kid. Let's say he's driving with a 17-year-old who has a license. No, I don't care if you're... No. No. I don't like that. I don't want you driving around at, in the middle of the night. No. With a kid a year older who has a license. No, I don't like that at all. All right, so now we're changing from 10 o'clock to But it also, so here's the other thing. I think it depends Mm. on who your kid's visiting and knowing their circle of friends. They're hanging out. You can't have your head in the sand. You have to know who your kid's hanging out with. If your kid's hanging out with some bad eggs, that is a a recipe for disaster. You're not going to get a call from your kid to get picked up. You're going to get a call from the police station to come pick them up. So I think that. You have to be aware. You can't you can't parent inside a bubble. You have to be aware of what's around you, who your kids are hanging out with. I think it's important to know what they're doing. Really pisses me off when people just send their kids out. Hey dad, I'll be back at, at, at ten. Okay, but where are you going? What are you doing? Who are you seeing? These are things I need to know, especially if you're going to be in cars driving around with other people or taking my car. So you're saying being a helicopter mom is appropriate? I don't think that's being a helicopter mom. What, where, why, and when? I think that in today's day and age, what we know about true crime, what we know about how people go missing, that yes, you have to know. I don't look at... Okay. Are you tracking their cell phones? I should be able to track your cell phone. If I can't, then you're lying to me about where you are. All right. So in addition to a curfew, if they're going out, we want to also track their movements. Yes. Or at least we know where the cell phone is. Yes, at least we'll know where this... Look, you're not going to... You, you're not going to out-technology your kids. It's, 
there's going to be things that they hide from you. And I'm certainly not the type of mom that feels that I should go through my kid's room and look through their diaries. And That's funny. Janae, who said she's not the type of wife to go through the husband's cell phone. Which I think just based on that interview that we saw, she looked to me like a complete liar. She did not look credible as she was speaking. She did not look like she was speaking from an authentic place. Oh, that's not fair. She was on a movie camera. She was being interviewed by Dateline. And they did one take. They did another take. They that's did a what third Scott take. Peterson said, too. That's bullshit. They did a lot of Everybody takes. grieves differently, blah, blah, blah. I think that her interview was... Un- I don't think it was received favorably. I think that um, she looked like a liar. But let's get back to... Okay, so children staying out. So hold on a minute. So, so I feel like I'm under the gun. Why don't you tell me what's an appropriate time to have your teenager home? I would say a 17 year old who has a license would be 11 o'clock. Are they driving your car? Yes. So if they have their license and they're driving your vehicle, you're saying 11 o'clock across the board, no matter what. That's exactly what I'm saying. But you're calling me the helicopter parent? I Do you need to know where your kid is going? I really just want to know who they're going out with. I want to make sure that I approve of their friends. And I know that's probably the hardest of all the equations is how do you keep a kid away from someone who's a fuck up? It's very difficult. But I would want to know who he's going with. Because if I trusted the person who he's with, I wouldn't... So if he says, I'm going out with Matt, you, they don't have to tell you where they're going, what they're doing? It's good to know where they're going. Okay, so you're revising. But you, you track, but you can track the phone. Yeah, but the phone will just show them going from house to house. How do I know if one of those houses isn't a house party where they're having alcohol and drugs? Well, now you're speaking differently. Like if my kid came home when he had alcohol in his breath, that that 11 o'clock would immediately become 9 o'clock. Okay, but that's after the fact. That's the aftermath. And that's if you can tell and you're not asleep when they come home. That's the other thing. Do you wait up for your kid to come home? Or do you go to sleep? I can't. I'm 53 years old. I try to stay up. (laughs) Okay. I'm not 53, but I don't want to wait up all hours of the night anyway. It's past my bedtime now, and it's only 9.42. But I don't think that I could really fall asleep unless I knew my kid was home safely. Oh, my goodness. I'm just saying. I think that if my kid was out, I would want to know that they were home before I completely went to sleep. Doesn't mean I'm not in bed or getting ready for bed. I just don't think that I could fully relax unless I knew that my kid was home. All right, let's go I think a little. A lot, of, a lot of parents probably feel the same way. All right, let's go. Okay, now what it was, we have some kids in our house who are college aged. If your kid is 19, 20, not 21. We're not talking about, no. Okay. We're talking about 18, 19, 20, all right, where they sort of feel like, hey, now I'm an adult, I can do what I want, but they're still under your roof and driving your car. What's an appropriate time to tell them, you have to be home or I'm locking my door? They're over 18. I think you got to go to 12 o'clock. I just think that's, you know. What if they want to stay out later than 12 one time or all the time? Frequently. I don't think so. I'd rather be an asshole dad and say no. They can tell you that they're not taking your car. Somebody else is driving. 
I still would have a problem with it. Are you still tracking their phone at 19? Yes, it's not 21. They're still on my phone plan, right? Fuck that. Right? Listen, when they go to college, they're out all over the night. No one's saying there's any uh, there's any set time. Well, but the a lot of the campuses have curfews and have a time where you have to be in by. They're not going to let you traipse in and out at 4 a.m. I don't think they. You really think they have a uh, like a time limit on kids in college? Don't they? Somebody, please email us <laughs> till death do us part podcast at gmail dot com. Somebody, please tell us uh, on campuses nowadays. Do they lock the doors? Do they have a set? Like, do you have to sleep on the sidewalk if you come back at three in the morning? What What's the protocol in colleges now? We're kind of old. Don't they <laughs> all don't come know. back at three in the morning drunk? So here's <gasps> what we want to know. Not. Do college campuses have a curfew? That's what we want to know. This is this is the information we need, guys. Till death do us part podcast at gmail.com. I have no idea. There was no there was none when I was there. I mean, I'm trying to think about it, but there wasn't any when I... But I went... Uh, I went to college in the 80s. And uh, we had... We had absolutely no oversight. Well, I went to college in 2002. I went to NYU. And I remember coming home at all hours. Nobody ever stopped me from coming into my dorm. But I kind of feel like somebody probably should have and I wouldn't have done so many bad things. Yeah, I don't remember any of it. Nah, I'll be honest. Oh my God. Yeah, just too long ago. <laughs> all right. Well, uh... Guys, thank you for listening in. We've had so much support from all our friends. Uh, this week, I want to thank our good friend, uh, Jason Vigorito. You've given us some great feedback. Just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for all of your constructive feedback. And we want all of you guys to stay safe. Wear your mask. And stay six feet apart. Mm, good night, New Jersey. Good night.